everybody. How are you guys all doing? Uh, thanks for tuning into our podcast. Um, if you've missed the past couple weeks, we've been in a series calling "Running on Empty." And for me, I don't know. I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like I've been depleted. I have nothing to offer. This overall feeling of emptiness, running out of fuel, running out of gas, and I think just this is what life is. And the question is, and the question is, how do we live life running on empty? And what does truly fill us up? And so we've been looking at stories of the prophet of Elisha, who came after Elijah with a J, and he performed a bunch of miracles, and God would speak to Elisha, and then Elisha would speak to God's people, uh, the Israelites in Israel. And at this time, you have Israel, and then you had to the north, you had Aram, and Aram and Israel are going at it. And there's, uh, you see this throughout Elisha's life that, you know, they're raiding, they're battling, there's places of peace. And it seems like right now there is a battle going on. And we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6, but mostly 2 Kings chapter 7. But before we go into that, I want to set the scene up because there's this story that happens in 2 Kings 6. It's one of my favorite stories and it's Aram is going to attack Israel. But every time they go attack, it's like the Israelites know they're coming and they figure it out. It's because Elijah, Elijah is telling them their every move. And you can imagine how frustrated the Aram king is. And so when he realizes this, he goes after Elisha. And there he is, his whole army at the front steps of Elisha. And his servant is freaking out as me and you would be freaking out. Because here it is, like, you know, two guys versus a whole army. And Elisha closes his eyes and prays, God, would you open the eyes of my servant? And when he finished praying... His servant and Elijah looked out and surrounding their Armenian army is God's army. Bigger <laughs> than anything of this world. And what I love about this story is that when we close our eyes, when we come to God in prayer, when we close our eyes, we do that so God will open our eyes. And for me, this has been so life-changing and life-giving that often I'll pray, God, would you give me this? Would you help me with this? But would I pray, God, would you open my eyes to see your presence, to see that you're in this, to see that you're bigger? So we close our eyes so God will open our eyes. But we're not going to be talking about that. (laughs) We're going to talk about years later, Aram comes back and the Armenians start to attack Samaria, which is in Israel. And one of the tactics of war was to surround um, your opponent and to basically starve them out. Don't let any food in or water in or supplies in and just kind of play the waiting game. And so this is what's happening. And there was inflation going on. And, and I know if you are living right now, if you're listening to this currently, that there is inflation going on, especially in a post-pandemic world of COVID, where gas prices are through the roof. I can't believe how expensive eggs are right now. Eggs are like $5. It's more, it's cheaper to buy actually organic eggs 
And so we it can experience inflation and we're like, man, and interest rates are high, everything's going higher. But these guys are really experiencing it where they're even um, paying for the head of a donkey um, enormous amount of money and, and a head of a donkey would usually be just thrown away. One, they don't even eat donkeys and if they were, they're not going to eat the head. And there's this one story in particular where the king of Israel is walking around and these two moms come up to him, one mom, and says, King, you need to help us. Me and this other lady made a pact and said, well, the first night we'll boil, kill and boil my son to eat. And then the next day we'll do the same to her son. So we did that. We killed my son. We boiled him and we ate him. And But the next day she would refuse to do it. And you look at that story and you're thinking, what is going on? And the king sought the same thing. And scripture says that he tore his robe and he was just so in despair. And then in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 59, the king said, This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And we don't really know. Scripture doesn't say what was told. Why are they waiting? I think there's two possible scenarios here. One is that if they were to go and fight the Armenians on their own strength, they would surely be destroyed. And two, if they were to surrender, they would surely be enslaved. So for anyone right now who feels like they're being surrounded, who feels like they're being depleted, the two options are one, to go out and fight on your own. Maybe God's telling you to wait, but you're saying, no, I don't want to wait, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight on my own strength. And the worry and the problem is you will be destroyed. Or I'm going to give into this. Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's an addiction. I'm going to give into this. And what happens, as Paul says, it, sin enslaves us and you'll be a slave to it. But what we do know is that frustration of running on empty often leads to desperation. When you don't have a lot, when you feel like you don't have anything, it causes us to be so frustrated that we end up doing things that are very desperate. On a smaller scale, maybe you can relate to this. When I'm hungry, I often get so desperate. When I was uh, owning my own video company, I would film a lot of houses and I would travel and a lot of times I would go without breakfast and sometimes lunch and it would be like three o'clock in the afternoon and I would get so, so hungry and I'd be driving around frustrated and then I see the golden arches. I'm like, oh man, a Big Mac would taste so good. And I go through drive through and I garf it down and I immediately regret my decision because when I'm desperate, I make bad choices. When we, Kate and I go to weddings or anything that would have a buffet, I, I often try to starve myself before because I'm like free food, usually it's good food. And Kate will call me um, Buffet Andy because I'll just embarrass her and myself because I'll literally put Mount Everest on my plate. And I am walking back to my plate, my, my table with chicken wings falling off and I garf myself and Kate's like, you're an embarrassment to me and you're not going to feel good after that because I was desperate. I made bad choices. And the same thing is for us. When we feel surrounded and, and when the, and the enemy is depleting us, we will often become in a place of desperation. And the only way, the only way of deliverance is a true act of God. And you're in luck because that's what we're going to talk about today. So 2 Kings chapter 7. This is what Elijah replied 
to what the king has said, this disaster is from the Lord. The re- Elijah says this, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a saya of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two sayas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And the officer whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heavens, could this happen? And Elijah said, you will see it with your own eyes. Lord, I pray for all those who are listening to this, God, that you would just have our, uh, close our eyes so we would open our eyes to see you, Lord, that we would see that you are bigger than anything that is surrounding our life right now, Jesus. So God, would you just guide us in this time, amen. Do you believe that God can deliver you from the thing that is depleting you? I think many of us are like this servant who's leaning against a king that says, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heavens, could this happen? Basically saying there is just no way anything good can happen from this disaster. If we go back and look at the three stories that we've been talking about in this series, we start with the widow. The widow who had a husband who had passed away, probably at a pretty young age. He was a believer. He was in the family of prophets. And now there's debtors coming because she's broke. She has no money. And the debtors are coming to take her sons as slaves. Now that is a very desperate situation. Last week, we talked about Nahum, a slave girl taken from uh, her family. She had, when we look at Nahum, It starts off with a slave girl who was taken from her family from Israel, God's people, and she was taken from them on a raid. I mean, that alone has so many things that are like just desperate and wrong. And Nahum himself has leprosy, which is a disease that will ultimately kill him. Then you look at this story, a famine. You have moms eating their sons. And I'm sure there's much more going on. I'm sure there's violence. I'm sure there's starvation, people dying. And so you look at these three and all of them are so, so hard to hear. And they're filled with disappointments, but they all are filled with deliverance. They're filled with disappointments, but they all have deliverances unimaginable troubles and unimaginable miracles. John 16 says this, this is what Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God has overcome the thing which is overcoming, overwhelming you. God has overcome that which is overwhelming you. And and I just want us to just dwell on that for a minute because so many times we just concentrate on the things that are troubling us. And in the midst of that, I just want us to focus that God can do the unimaginable in the unimaginable. So let's continue this story and see what happens because they set him up. They said, there's just no way God can do anything. So verse three, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And the reason why they're outside of the city is because leopards weren't allowed in. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Armenians and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Armenians. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. 
For the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses in a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank, and they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hit them. Verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Armenians. So a saya of the finest flour sold for a shekel, and two sayas of barley sold for a shekel, just as the Lord had said. We read this and we think, you know what? There was no way, but see, God can make a way when there is no way. And the question is, where is that way leading? God can make a way when there is no way to the way in Jesus Christ. I think so many times we think, all right, God, make a way when there is no way to my way. I like often to give God my plans and my way and say, hey, God, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. Can you clear this for me? Can you make a way when there is no way to my way? And God said, I'm going to make a way when there's no way to the way in Jesus Christ. Not our way, but to the way. When we read Romans 8, verse 23, Romans 8, if you get some time, read the whole chapter. It is one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. But Paul says this, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I want to pause there because he's talking about the hope we have in heaven. That no matter what happens on earth, it's temporary and doesn't compare to the eternity. I, I preach about this all the time, especially since my circumstances have given me a longing for eternity like no, like none before. And so, yes, that is our ultimate hope. That is uh, what continues for us to press on to receive the prize. And so we need to be encouraged and we need to have that focus. But, but Paul continues in verse 25 he says in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness in our current weakness uh, on earth we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for god's people in accordance with the will of god and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In the midst of hopelessness, there is also hope for good things. In the midst of hopelessness, and we're promised despair, we're promised trouble, but we're also promised the hope of deliverance. And it may not be the way that you want it. It may not be your timing. But there is hope to be had. Don't write off God while God is writing your story. Don't write off God thinking there is just no way because God could be writing your story. God delights in giving us glimpses of heaven on earth. This is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer on earth as in heaven. We are asking God to intervene on this earth as he uh, as, as, as heaven is perfection, no tears, um, no sorrow, no pain. God, would you bring a little bit of that here on earth as it is in heaven? 
That's why we do that. That's why we pray that. And God will give us glimpses of heaven on earth. I'm going to give you an example. When we don't have cable in our house, and I'm a sport person. I love watching sports, especially last year when the Celtics were on the run. They made it all the way to the finals, and most of their games are on TNT. We don't have TNT. But I found that when I downloaded the TNT app on our smart TV, that they would offer a 15, sometimes 20-minute preview. And so what I would do is I would check the scores on my phone and I would try to do the math and say, okay, it's the end of the fourth quarter. I think if I watch the end of the game, it's a good game. I can get the rest of the game I can actually watch. And, and when I would, it would be like amazing. I'd sit down on the couch on the big screen and I would be able to watch the Celtics play and it'd be awesome. It was good until they go into overtime and my preview ends before the game ends. But here's the thing. These previews are meant to draw you into a commitment. Here's just a taste of what we offer. Now, now would you commit? Would you commit to a subscription, whatever they're offering? The same is true when God gives us glimpses of heaven on earth. What he wants from us is a commitment to him. I'm going to give you a glimpse. It's not forever. It's a glimpse of who I am, of what heaven is like. So you would be committed to follow me. Trust in Jesus so I can be with Jesus forever. The reality is some of you are miracles. Look where your life is right now. Look at some of the things that you thought there is no way. Maybe it's a family, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a health. Maybe you had a past that was beaten up. Maybe your, your, your family life, maybe your parents are divorced, whatever it may be. Maybe you thought, you know, there's just no way. Now look at you now and you are a walking miracle. If you look at scripture, you see miracle after miracle. If, if God could take Saul in the early church, he was enemy number one going around arresting and killing believers. And if God could take him and make him into Paul, who planted churches all around the Middle East and Europe, who wrote half of the New Testament. If God could take Joseph in the Old Testament, who was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers, and then he was wrongly accused and thrown into dungeon and prison for years. And God turned him into the most second powerful man in the world at that time, second to his Pharaoh and saving thousands because of the famine that was there. If God could deliver Peter, just the day before, James was in prison for uh, claiming Jesus is Lord. And they killed James. They killed him. The, one of the best friends of Jesus in his inner circle. One of the best friends of Peter. And then the day after that, Peter is thrown into that very same prison. But in this time, an angel wakes him up, unchains him, and, and takes him through the prison and all the way to the church that was meeting that night. If God could take me, a father, who lost his daughter, and gave me the miracle to carry on with continued and greater hope of faith, what can God do for you? What can God do for you? 
And you're thinking, well, look at all the trouble. Look at the enemy surrounding me. I'm depleted. Do you believe that God is bigger than that? And in the midst of unimaginable trouble, there is unimaginable miracles to be had. Dallas Willard says this as he comments on the blind man scene. There's this boy who is born blind and the religious leaders had no idea how he was blind and now could see. And he said, listen, I don't know what to tell you. I was blind, but now I can see. And this is what Willard comments. He said, they did not recognize the greatest works of love and righteousness, righteousness because those works didn't conform to their legalistic ideas of what the Bible teaches. I would say for us in our culture, it's the legalistic ideas that the world teaches. Many stand in the same place today, unable to recognize the words and works of God. We have our eyes closed to see what God is doing and working. I'm beat up, I'm depleted, I feel hopeless, but God is still working in the midst of despair, in the midst of hopelessness. John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, was speaking at a conference and he brings up Philip Yancey's book and he gives this story about Ernest Gordon, who's a British officer that was in prison in World War II from a Japanese prison camp. These prisoners were um, forced to build the Burma Railroad and the conditions were so bad. In fact, 80,000 people would die building this railroad. And in the midst of that, there was this culture of despair that took place. They were beaten. They were hurting. They were desperate. And people would steal from each other. They would fight with each other. The strong would prey on the weak. And it was just an awful, awful setting. Well, one day, even in the midst of this culture of despair, they're going out. And as they're right before they would build a railroad, this Japanese soldier <coughs> would have them all put a shovel in front of them to make sure that all the shovels were there because if one shovel wasn't, they would be afraid that they would use that shovel to escape. So on this day, there was one shovel missing. So the soldier said, who did it? And no one claimed it. And then finally said, if no one steps up, I'm going to kill all of you. And this one man steps forward. They beat him, they kill him, and they drag his body away. They get back to the camp later and they found out that the soldier just miscounted the shovels. They were all there. And this man that sacrificed his life for the others was one of the only men that truly followed Jesus in the midst of a culture of despair. Gordon says this, death was still with us, but we were slowly being freed from its descriptive, descriptive grip. And there's a culture change that happened. Now the circumstances didn't change, their perspective did. They realized that a lot of them had gifts. They brought different gifts. Some were professors, some were economists, some were musicians, some were artists, and some were even pastors. So they built a church and they actually built a thing called Jungle University, which was this school in the midst of this prison camp surrounded by despair. They had art shows. They put on orchestra uh, um, concerts with music. In the middle of a place of despair, there was hope. Even when they were freed at the end of the war, they forgave their soldiers and actually some of them worked with each other after the war. 
I believe this is what we're called in the middle of despair. There are glimpses of hope to be had. See, the Israelites went from famine to full in a matter of hours. Do you believe that God can take you from famine to full in hours? And maybe you're thinking, well, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heaven, could this happen? And I'm telling you, God can do the unimaginable, even in the midst of the unimaginable happening. I was at a pastor's roundtable. I was talking to a pastor who wanted to have kids and him and his wife were struggling. And I said, I, I can't tell you that God will do that because I know people who struggle to have kids and still do not. But I can't say that this past month, I had the privilege to dedicate three specific families that I prayed for for years because they struggled. And not only did I dedicate their babies, but they were their second and sometimes third child. I can't say that this will happen, but I can give you hope that it can happen and it has happened. And so for me, my experience of troubles has minimized my hope for miracles. I've kind of just said this is the world of despair we lived in. And so God just helped me live in a broken world. And I think that there's a promise to be had. It's like, yeah, no, it's a world of despair. But there's also a world of deliverance to be had on earth as it is in heaven. The reality is that no matter how empty we are, no matter how big the famine is in your life, Nothing of this world will be able to fill us. Jesus says in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So if you're feeling empty, the only way to feel full is through Jesus Christ. And when God gives us glimpses of heaven, when he gives us deliverance, he's delivering us and freeing us from the bondage of the world to be free to love and follow him. And I believe that we can be, go from a famine to full in a matter of hours. That's how big our God is. Do you believe it? Unimaginable troubles and unimaginable miracles, hand in hand. Let me pray for you, Lord. Thank you so much for being a God who gives us glimpses of heaven. Lord, our hope is for eternity, Lord, but we still have hope on this earth to carry on to live free from the bondage of this world, Lord. So help us, God, guide us, Jesus. In the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of troubles, Lord, would you give us hope? Would you provide miracles, Jesus? In your name we pray, amen.